On this week's episode of the I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members, I interview Patton McDowell. Patton is actually founder of his own organization. It's PMA Consulting, now PMA Nonprofit Leadership, and wonderful website, pattonmcdowell.com. And Patton has over 30 years experience in the nonprofit space. And in this interview, he talks about his book, his new book that he's created, which is called Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, Seven Keys to Advancing Your Career in the Philanthropic Sector. He ties it into what a, how a board should approach organizational development. And something he did not mention I want to share with you is he is a mastermind that's available to anybody. It's a Zoom-based mastermind group for up-and-coming leaders in the nonprofit sector. You can see that on his website. So join me now as I interview Patton McDowell. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Corley. Just wanted to let you know we are now sending out a weekly, very brief newsletter tips, tricks, pointers to nonprofit executives. That includes both board members and CEOs, executive directors. If you're interested in receiving this, please go to thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter and you can sign up. Once again, that's thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter. All right, as you heard in the introduction, I have the pleasure of interviewing Patton McDowell, or should I say Dr. Patton McDowell of PMA, a consulting uh, his own organization. And let me just start off, Patton, if you would, Please introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us a little bit about you and how you came about to doing what you do. Yeah, Michael, delighted to have this conversation with you and Reed. Uh, I'm very fortunate. Uh, 30 some years ago, I was an intern for Special Olympics International, and I wish I could claim some grand vision of nonprofit leadership then. But no, uh, this young person or the younger version of me was just, you know, thought it'd be fun to be in D.C. for a summer. Uh, but but it turned out to be a career-defining opportunity. Um, I realized the nonprofit sector had great career and professional opportunities, and, and I was very fortunate to work with the founder of the global movement Special Olympics, Eunice Kennedy Shriver. And, and so I immediately saw, uh, of course, her vision, uh, but also the complexity of a uh, global nonprofit organization. And that totally changed my thinking, you know, as one who had an appreciation, I suppose, for the nonprofit sector, but never really viewed it as a career path. And then I was like, wow, there is opportunity here. So I was hired. Uh, I guess I did it well enough during that summer internship to retain my employment, worked there for about a year and a half, and then came back to my home state of North Carolina, worked for another seven years there, um, realized I needed to do more or have more fundraising experience. And that led to an opportunity to get into higher education. And so I was the chief fundraiser for two universities, UNC Wilmington, and then Queens University here in Charlotte, where I am now. And so a decade of higher education, I guess, further bolstered my experiences. And I started a consulting practice, as you acknowledged, I call it PMA Nonprofit Leadership. And that is uh, kind of my current uh, well, really my passion for the sector. And, and like you both, we want the sector to be uh, better and help. Uh, and the way I put it is I want to help talented individuals excel at nonprofit leadership. And so, Michael, that's what I've been doing for the last almost 15 years. So you weathered higher ed fundraising. And my wife was in it for a number of years, as I shared before. And the story she told, I you just kind of scratch your head sometimes. But, you know, how rewarding when, 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 when it certainly, when it pays off. So I commend you for that. And you went on, you got your CFRE, which is not an easy thing to do. 
Yeah, I, I again, I, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I have been always kind of goal oriented uh, and and just like, all right, what can I work on now? And so the CFRE is something I've resisted for a while. And I've had this conversation with many fundraisers because, I, you know, I was at a point where I felt like I had enough senior level experience. I don't really need the CFRE. But I was uh, coached by a senior mentor in the sector. So, hey, even if you don't need it, it's good for the profession because fundraising as a profession has mixed uh, reaction from folks. And so if we want to professionalize our work, then by, you know, endorsing certifications like that, uh, I so I, I, I bought it and, and now embrace that, you know, the CFRE requires you to recertify every three years which sometimes is like, wow, I don't need to add that to my to-do list. But I appreciate, again, the discipline of ongoing professional development. And that's, in fact, what it provides. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And in that time, you also, you got your MBA somewhere, you got your doctorate. Uh, are there any more initials in your future? <laughs> I, I think I'm done. Uh, alphabet soup is plenty that I carry at this point. But yeah, again, fortunate to be in higher education. One of the advantages of being on a campus is often the opportunities to get involved in some of the programs. So as an employee, I was able to get my MBA at Queens University, the McCall School. And that was fantastic. And, and again, through the encouragement of my boss and my wife, glad I did, because frankly, I didn't think I had time for it. But they both said, you know, now is the time. Take advantage of opportunities in front of you. And then then it became a bucket list thing, Michael, of like, yeah, God, should I go on to the doctoral level? Um, I, I just felt like it, it. I had this academic pursuit in me. And the program at Southern California was fantastic because it allowed me to bring my consulting practice into the classroom, so to speak, as well as benefit from the content of an international faculty and student body. So I, it, it wasn't like it was a side project, if you will. It was academic enrichment during and supporting the consulting work I do. Well, thank you. And I do, I am asking that for a specific reason, because we are going to talk a little bit about professional development throughout this podcast. I think it's important to set the tone, Indeed. but let's start off with you. You wrote a book and I'm going to hold it up. <laughs> Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, which is actually a fabulous book. All right. Question. What compelled you to write a book? Well, uh, like you, Michael, over my career, you, you start compiling lots of your, the nuggets and words of wisdom and coaching advice. And a lot of the work I did in the consulting and coaching space, um, I felt like was decent content. The book allowed me to put it all together. And and I, you know, refined it over the years and then said, you know what, I think there's seven key components to a path to successful nonprofit leadership. So the book was a discipline exercise. And all right, let's see if I can articulate them in a uh, practical way. And that was really the goal. Um, but it was taking kind of the coaching that I've received. And then I have hopefully provided to nonprofit leaders and putting it in a format that they could take advantage of. Well, it's a really well-written, easy-to-read book, and I encourage any nonprofit leader to to review it and to read it because it really does provide some very compelling advice and, and direction for for those leaders. And so, but but this is the podcast for nonprofit board members, uh, Pat. And so I, I want to ask questions kind of from that angle. So it, looking at the book and the pathway and the trajectory, and and I'm, let's say I'm a board member, what characteristics should a board member seek? in a CEO or executive director? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And of course, you know, you start with the requisite skills and experiences the job description requires. But I think the board angle and perhaps the advanced question to ask is you're looking for someone who's not just proficient in their previous organizations or experience, but they need to have sector knowledge. You know, I'm hiring you not just for what you have done and accomplished. I'm hiring you because I trust you're going to remain on the lead edge of the key issues facing our sector. So any sector, whether it's higher education or healthcare, or arts and culture, I, I, board members, I think, need to look for someone who has a clear uh, and a defined learning plan. I think to me, that's one of the most impressive interview answers someone can give you is if they can come into a board committee, a search committee as an executive and say, hey, I'm proud of what I've done. And let me tell you how I my experiences match what you need. But I'm also very attuned to the issues that face our sector, you know, whether it's governmental relations or issues that face our community um, or whether it's in philanthropy or there, there are always issues. And so I want to, as a board member, I want to hire somebody that I know is well-connected and has, uh, you know, are they networking with the professional associations within their field? A, a good question for a board member to to pose is understanding the, the nonprofit executives network, both who are some comparative peers. That's a question I ask, in fact, who, who do you compare with and who do you network with um, that are in similar roles to you and who are aspirational leaders in the sector? To me, that is an enlightening question to ask if I'm a board member, because I want to hear my new nonprofit leader have under, an understanding of who are the best of the best so that we as an organization can aspire to be like so-and-so in some you know national level position. But long answer, Michael, sorry about that. But that is something I think maybe board members can bring a perspective in their search. Well, I appreciate that, but let me ask you this. So does that is that contrary to the notion when a board member goes, well, well, she's been she's been good uh, over there. Let's bring her on. I like her. Let's bring her on. <laughs> I think that's a limiting uh, approach to take. Yes, her experience is valid. So I don't mean to discount. Uh, her experience and all that she's done to this point, but we're hiring her for a forward looking approach and things change. And, and so I think you've got to look for a leader that demonstrates adaptability. What did they do during the COVID epidemic? How did they adapt? Give me some examples of that. So I'm looking for that kind of skill for sure. But again, I'm I'm looking beyond just their past experience because we need a leader that can take us forward. And we need to be confident that they understand the landscape in which our organization operates. And so we we bring the new leader on, the new CEO, executive director. Now, oftentimes the board, board says, oh, great, wonderful. He or she's on. What is the board's responsibility and how should it view professional development? Yeah, I, I hope they will consider that investment as, as one well worth making. Um, it's it's. Number one, the greatest retention vehicle for a board to offer, because talented leaders are going to have opportunities going forward. Turnover does unfortunately affect our sector significantly. And it's not just compensation. Yes, that's a factor. And so board members are going to need to do their comparative salary studies and understand what are the driving factors to compensation and assuring someone can feel comfortable in their role. But I think you've also got to assure that 
um, professional development is going to be on a high achievers list. And so how can that professional development help this individual, not just retain, but make them stronger, which of course helps the whole organization. And, and I want to see that leader bring that professional development to the rest of their team too, not just them. Okay. Yeah. So keep going. Talk a little bit about that because that's, you know, oftentimes we don't have the money. We can't right. spend it on that. I've seen that so many times. So how, what, what's your retort to that? How, how can we work and, and provide advice to work through that? Yeah, there's a whole range. You know, it it's not just the high dollar, you know, far away conference. When if if that's the kind of connotation of professional development means some fancy conference traveling far away. No, there's great professional development locally. You know, how do we connect again and maybe provide a little bit of budget so that my nonprofit leader can host other nonprofit leaders in the community, which, by the way, is both good individually as a collaborative exercise, but it's good for our nonprofit as a board member. And and mm. so you could do something like that, host it yourself. And again, Michael, that's to your point. We don't have to spend a ton of money on that to provide legitimate professional development experience. Mm, very good. Yeah. So let me go. And, and your book could be one opportunity for that personal <laughs> development. And, and we're, we're laughing, folks, because I told uh, Pat and I was going to promote his book uh, on this podcast. So we're, we're having some fun with it, but it really is a phenomenal, a phenomenal Thank book. And, uh, and so I, I'm more than happy to encourage people to to purchase it. So getting back to the book within the book, you have these these steps. So just walk me through, if you would, walk us through the the trajectory, the timeline, the, are the sequential steps? Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the seven steps have a sequence, obviously, to present in the book, but they really may be best looked at as a circular kind of lifelong learning experience. Um, in other words, I talk about early on um, the, the importance of kind of defining your vision, providing a vision framework. Where do you want to go to the extent you know? And so the book provides some questions because it's a legitimate answer for somebody to say, you know what, I love what I do now, and I'm not sure where I'm going in 5, 10, or 20 years. But what I'm suggesting is that you can refine and maybe on an annual basis think about, is education the sector in which I want to stay, or might I consider healthcare, or might I consider arts and culture or environmental causes? No wrong answer. But I think you start with and you return to that kind of visioning framework as an exercise, which helps you refine what you want to do. Because what I don't want you to do is, you know, year after year, like, yeah, I'd like what I do, but I'm, I'd, it's not quite where I want to be. And I'm like, all right, let's talk about some of these uh, refining questions that could sharpen your vision. And so then, Michael, there's an ongoing um, self-assessment. You know, I use the term, let's embrace self-assessment, not as a punitive year-end HR exercise, but you own it. What, what can you work on that will help you succeed? And are we leveraging some of the skills that you already have? I think many nonprofit leaders don't leverage what they already have. So there are chapters and exercises in the book about assessing where you are, leveraging things in which you are really skilled and then defining what you're going to work on. You know, you can't tackle everything all at once. And then there are other elements that, you know, are, are kind of refining of, of this strategic networking being chief among them. How do you connect with both comparable and aspirational peers? And um, how do you curate the knowledge you're going to need going forward? I've got a chapter on that concept because in this digital age, information is coming at you rapid fire. 
So how do you organize it so it's not overwhelming and just a drowning of information? As a leader, you're going to have to organize that information so you can effectively learn. And then finally, I'm glad, Michael, you referenced something that I'm a big believer in is uh, taking a personal annual retreat. You know, most nonprofit leaders listening right now or watching right now have had to sit through countless and sometimes painful retreats for their organization. I'm like, why don't you spend some of your time on yourself and, and you know, go away for a day or two if you're able and, and kind of reflect. And that's when uh, the, the cycle kind of starts over. You know, if you can do that on a regular basis, maybe annually, to me, it makes this whole process a proactive and hopefully a helpful one. And what I enjoyed about your book and the way you laid it out is it's very easy to read. It's sequential and it makes sense. It's kind of the circular notion, if you, as you just mentioned, and the fact that you actually do take an annual retreat. I think it's annual. Yeah, that's um, correct. That's correct. And, and so you go on somewhere and, and you you um, you sit in the woods and you beat on on drums and or whatnot. Uh, exactly. may, maybe not. That's what maybe my not. wife my wife <laughs> wonders what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the question. Yeah. So how, how do you frame it? How do you approach a retreat? Yeah. yeah delighted you ask. Um, because again, I think the first reaction is, yeah, Pat, and that sounds good, but no, I, one, I don't have time. And what would I do, uh, you know, if I was by myself and I'm like, well, remember what you do on any retreat or any strategic planning process. So for example, if I'm going to go away and my uncle's got a cabin I can use, on Friday afternoon, I'm doing visioning kind of exercises. And the book has some worksheets that for someone that needs a starting point, that's exactly what I was hoping to do. All right. And let's pose some of those questions to ourselves. Fill out the worksheet. All right. What sector do I want to work in? Would I entertain a different geographic range? In other words, would I move for the right job or am I place bound? And so the, the Friday afternoon becomes a visioning session. Saturday morning becomes the self-assessment. So I've got a tool in there that talks about, I think there are 10 essential, in fact, I've expanded it now to 12 essential skills and experiences for outstanding nonprofit leadership. And so it it's a self-guided tour, right? I go down the list. I'm like, yep, I'm pretty good at that. How could I leverage it more? Or, whoa, I need to work on that. That's a, a weak spot. And then Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning, I'm I'm turning into goals. All right. Let's see how this affects my 10-year trajectory. Let's think about what I need to do in the next five years. For example, am I going to get the CFRE over the next couple of years or a master's? And then by Sunday morning, I'm zeroing in on, all right, what's the next 90 days, you know, six months to a year. And so I think people are pleasantly surprised that, wow, I could spend a day and a half doing this when their first reaction might be, you know, I don't even know where to start. Well, you certainly just simplified the complex because I think people are overwhelmed <laughs> when you hear that retreat. You think, oh, my goodness gracious, or it's going to be a boondog or I'm going to sleep all day. But it's very <laughs> right. hyper-focused. And you lay out a plan in your book, which is can be utilized by anybody, which leads me to my next question. Should it be for anybody in the organization? Should anybody, regardless of their level, do this type of work? I think so. I think you, as, as the senior leader, you want to create a culture of professional development and career enhancement. And yes, senior leaders, that might lead some folks to move on. Um, but I contend if you don't provide it, they're going to move on anyway. And if you create a culture that embraces everyone maximizing their individual skills and experience, the whole organization gets better. And quite honestly, you become a place that people want to work. 
you know, you create an environment in which they work. So I think these exercises, and I encourage that, are good, you know, one-on-one discussion starters between you and the person you report to or team building exercises. But ultimately, every person needs to own their own professional development. I often say that too, that if you're going to wait for somebody else to do it for you, you you're going to be frustrated. And it's, you know, you can't wait for HR, you know, to tell you what you need to work on each year, or whatever the review process is for your organization. That really was a theme of this book. Um, own it. And, and perhaps this will give you a plan to do so. And is there, when a CEO or executive director is working with his or her board and the board looks at that budget and that professional development line item and questions it, how should a CEO respond? Well, some of the same things we, we've talked about today that show them the st- statistics of, of retention or lack thereof, and that you as a leader are, need to understand and educate your board that talent development and retention is critical. And one of the best ways for us to do that, in addition to providing you know a, a more than average compensation package, is to build on the, the professional skill of development of our team. And people don't go into the nonprofit sector without, I think, having an energy to do that. And so, again, I would show the board that there's a range of things we can do, many of them very uh, cost effective. Uh, We don't have to send everybody to the expensive retreat if that's a board member's perception. And what I would do is lay out for the board that this is what these are the skills and experiences we all need as a team. And here's what I'm doing to build on them so that as an organization, we're going to be more effective in accomplishing our mission. Mm, very well stated. We we recently did a podcast uh, about the difference between for-profit and non-profit or you know, businesses, non-businesses. And you know, oftentimes in the non-profit profit sector, people immediately think, or they don't think about professional development. Exactly. Right. And, and that's just, it's wrong. It's a business like anything else. And for the reasons you just stated, it's critically important. And those that excel at it are likely to perform better for the reasons you said. Absolutely right. You couldn't say it better. And I think you translated it very well, Michael, that in in language board members would understand because they're doing it their business. They're investing in their talent. And thus, they are moving the needle in a for-profit sense. We're trying to move it in a nonprofit sense just as much. Very good. Very good. Well, well, Patton, as we wind this down, are there any thoughts, anything else you'd like to share with the audience when it comes to the trajectory to the CEO executive director position, which not everybody has to aspire to, right? You don't have to aspire to that level, but that, that growth and that personal development. Yeah. Strategic networking is something that I'm really a big believer. And it sounds so cliche to say, well, it's about who, you know, Um, so, but it's not just kind of a volume based, you know, how many contacts or, you know, friends do I have on social media, but be intentional. There's a chapter in the book that I talk about creating your own personal board of directors. And I have a process outlined there to think about who would help me personally if if I have a challenge. So for me, as a liberal arts major coming to Special Olympics, the, the finance and accounting of nonprofit was intimidating. And so for me, it was intentional then to put somebody on my personal board who was expert in that. And so the process of identifying areas in which you want to improve, utilizing your network, again, both 
who else is doing your work at a different organization that you can rely on? And then maybe more importantly, uh, identifying aspirational colleagues. When I started Special Olympics, Michael, I talked to people at the, you know, the first kind of conference or networking event, and they identify people nationally. That, oh, yeah, you need to talk to Susan in Colorado, and you need to talk to Mark in New Jersey. And so people generally will respond if you offer a respectful invitation. If I said, Susan, I'm really impressed with what you're doing. I'd like to talk to you about maybe some of the lessons you've learned, you know, when you're further ahead on the path. But again, my answer there, Michael, strategic networking can be so valuable, more than just a social aspect of it, but a genuine learning and then an ongoing resource you can rely on. Well, what I like about what you said, Pat, and it's very strategic. You said strategic networking, strategy being there. When Indeed. you reach out to somebody, make sure it's purposeful. I don't know. You're probably like me, Pat. And at our age now, we get people wanting to touch us all the time. And oftentimes it's just, hey, I just want to get to know you or touch base with you. Contrast that with somebody who says, for exactly what you said, what, what do you recommend? What have you learned? What do I need to know? So well put. And in fact, I have kind of an ongoing a simple set of interview questions I have in mind. I don't want to scare somebody off with like, uh oh, you're going to interview me. But often they like that, you know, and you just have a couple, I, I stare, I just have a couple questions. Why did you get into this work? What helped you early on or whatever stage you are now? What was, what is something you've done that you're really proud of? People like to share those kind of stories. And then I finish with, all right, can you give me a couple resources that have been particularly valuable for you? And that's what, speaking of inexpensive professional development, often it's a book, you know, it's a podcast, it's a YouTube, um, it, it's in some cases a conference or someone else to talk to, but you're right, Michael, if someone approaches me that way, I'm much more willing and then I can be more helpful, I think, in my response, as opposed to just kind of a vague, hey, I want to meet with you and bend your ear for some reason. Well, and what you just said is critically important and people who reach out to us and when we reach out to them, we, we want to help. If we say yes, we'll talk to you. We want to help. So walk us down a little, give us some guardrails of what you're looking for so then I can respond in kind. So those questions exactly that you right. have beforehand are absolutely critical. And I think, well, very well stated. Pat McDowell, ladies and gentlemen, he's got a bunch of initials behind his name, but more <laughs> importantly, author right here, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, Seven Keys to Advancing Your Career in the Philanthropic Sector. Pat, I really can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom and in your authorship of this book, which I think is, is just absolutely tremendous. So thank you so much. Michael Reed, grateful for the opportunity. Thanks for the great work you're doing in the sector. And I'm delighted to have this conversation anytime. All right. Thank you. All right. We just heard from Pat McDowell, the founder of PMA Nonprofit Leadership. And now we're moving into the segment, Recapping with Reed. Reed, you listened to the interview. What are your three key takeaways? So strategic networking for Patton is something he's a big believer in. And he's not just a believer in networking, but being intentional about who you're networking with and trying to create your own personal board of directors through that strategic networking. Absolutely right. He's got a chapter on that in his book. Number two. As a senior leader, you want to create a culture of professional development, but you can only do so much. Everyone needs to own their own professional development. And number three. Professional development is the greatest retention vehicle a board can offer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you might even have a bonus key point takeaway today. What's number four? 
I do have a bonus. And when a board is seeking to hire a new CEO executive director, they should be searching for someone who's not just proficient in their previous job, but someone that has sector knowledge and also someone who has a clear and defined learning plan for themselves. Ah, thank you, Reed. Recapping with Reed, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for listening to this week's episode, and we will I-501 see you next week.